Welcome to the Booktopia podcast. I'm Ben Hunter. I'm here with fellow Booktopian and uh, neurotic book hoarder, Sarah McDooling. <laughs> what and, an introduction. <laughs> and we are just thrilled to be sitting across from Michael Connolly, the author of over 30 novels. And uh, his latest is The Night Fire. Welcome, Michael. Thanks for having me here. You've come a long way. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess so. You mean uh, miles-wise or in life? <laughs> <laughs> both, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think both, yes. Um, your character, Harry Bosch, mm-hmm. uh, is absolutely huge. Um, did you ever think when you first um, put him on paper that he would become the phenomenon that he is for so many readers? Uh, no, there's no way you can see a future like that you know I remember just wanting to get published and then when the uh, um, first publisher wanted the book I was hoping they'd want a two book deal you know so it's just incremental and then you know at some point down the line I kind of felt like you know like hey there's a lot of people out there who somehow connect to Harry Bosch and there's a good chance I can be doing this if I want to do it, you know, for uh, the rest of my writing life. And that was, uh, you know, that was, uh, that was the point of a lot of freedom. I knew that, like, as I'm writing a Bosch book, I could do a lot with him. I could even have him make mistakes and maybe fall into the abyss a little bit because I knew I'd get another chance to, uh, um, you know, redeem him. So mm. it doesn't, when you reach a point where you know, hey, I, I can do this if I want, at least for a long while, it's uh, it changes your approach and um that freedom is pretty special absolutely do you still when you sit down to write him in your novels do you still feel like he's 100 percent yours or has he kind of grown especially with the television and with the international readership into something you know just a kind of a force in the minds of readers well i'm aware of that and that's an amazing place to be um it's a good problem yeah yeah but i i can't let it like infect what i do and infects the wrong word i just can't let it kind of uh, influence what i'm doing because uh um you know i just it's my job to keep my head down and try to keep all that out of there and and write the best story that i can you know i was writing the bosch books for almost 20 years before the tv show came along so as good as i think that show is and as great as i think titus welliver is p- portraying bosch when i write the books i don't see him um i i'm stuck with the vision that i created you know almost 30 years ago and then also um the show is a, about a younger bosch i'm writing about a bosch that's that's far past him on the age spectrum and, sure you know he's not even a cop anymore but on the show <laughs> he's still a cop so there's enough differences that i'm still to get back to your question feel like i own him that's i don't i don't i have my own head bosch as well and um it hasn't been taken over by the tv show and I love Bosch, but I actually want to talk about Renee Ballard. Can, oh, we talk yeah. about, can we talk about her for a second? This is now the third Ballard book. Right. And um, I love her. <laughs> I love reading about her. And I'm loving watching this partnership with Bosch sort of develop. What's it, what's it like for you? Like, I don't know. I'm sure you can't really tell us, but like, <laughs> how many books can we look forward to seeing these two together? Oh, roughly. Um, well, when you say the two of them, I don't know because Bosch is, you know, aging out, and I and one reason 
for the invention of Renee was that I wanted Bosch to find someone of a kindred soul that he could kind of pass his mission on to. Like he would discover this person and realize, hey, we're, we're very much alike. Let's work on some cases together. I'll pass on what wisdom I have, and then eventually you're on your own. That's the way I look at it. But wow. I'm having fun with these books where they work together, so it's not going to happen anytime soon. But, you know, my books... Um, are set in the years they're published, Bosch and all the characters I've ever written about all age in real time. And so he's facing the wall of reality, you know, where it's going to be like, hey, how can this old guy be chasing bad guys like this? And right now I've solved that problem because I have this much younger, fierce woman who she'll do the chasing and, and Bosch can do the wisdom type yeah. thing. And so um, I think it will go on for a little bit, but, uh, you know, eventually... Um, I, as a writer, I'm pretty sure I'll out outlast Harry. Um, I'm not saying I'm going to kill him. I'd never be that cruel to someone I've already been cruel to through ma many books. But eventually, <laughs> I think it'll be, I'll be writing about Ballard. I was shocked to kind of be confronted with Bosch's age because I guess I hadn't... I guess he sort of seems a little bit timeless and ageless in the books. And he's now, I think in this book, he said 70 um, almost. Um, I've, I'm, I'm stuck with what I've done. So <laughs> in um, the earlier books, um, it's been mentioned at least twice that I know of that he was born in 1950. Wow. So, you know, um, but, you know, so he's um, going to turn 70 next year. Oh, my goodness. But I appreciate that comment that he feels kind of timeless. I mean, I'm not trying to dwell on his age. And I actually know some you know, the world's different. Um, there's actually detectives. I know some detectives that are older than Bosch that have retired like him and do what he does. You know, they're volunteers for smaller departments because they still have skills and they still have that drive. And, um, you know, one of the key people that has inspired Bosch over the years, you know, because he was a LAPD detective when I met him, is now long retired and um, he saw three murders this year for a little um, sheriff's department in Northern California as a volunteer oh. investigator. So cold know. cases. Yeah, oh, wow. that's incredible. Yeah, and so when something like that's happening, I feel like well, but Harry can certainly go on. He's got a yeah. new knee in this book. You know, he's <laughs> you know, all he has to do is um, take care of his health, and he can uh, keep working cases. I mean, the the subject of age is really interesting because one one of the the kind of challenges that you're playing with in this novel um, is the questioning of the kind of legacy that influential people in law enforcement want to create for themselves. Um, it drives a lot of choices in mm -hmm. the characters in this book and not all of them are good. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, is that something that you've seen in your experience of researching or reporting on police departments or is that something you're speculating on? No, I'm, I mean, you know, Ballard is a single source inspiration. There's a real detective that I based her on, and she's still um, at the LAPD, and she's a homicide detective. And I meet with her often, and I know that she faces many of the, the kind of obstacles that um, Renee faces. I basically take them from the real detective. And so I, I really think that a lot of what's in the book is, is a reality, is a real picture of at least that bureaucracy of the LAPD. But I have a, sen a sense that it's probably 
the same anywhere. You know, the police departments in particular are male-dominated societies and bureaucracies. And, um, you know, I think uh, female detectives like Ballard who are good at what they're doing and have that inner drive of fierceness, um, you know, they, they run up against a lot of uh, pushback. And uh, that's what happens to the real detective that, that inspired the books, and that's what's happening. Um, you know, to Renee, uh, you know, I do think, I think I strayed from your question, but I think the, um, there is a arc in this book or a theme about mortality and what you leave behind and who you give what you're going to leave behind to. And, you know, that's really all kind of seen through Bosch's eyes and what he's doing. You know, it's not like he thinks he's going to pack it in anytime soon, but, you know, he, he's always been a realist about his situation in the world and and he knows that he's looking for the comfort i think of of his legacy not disappearing that that someone will take up the mission and he's found that in renee so um it's that's the partnership that we're seeing now and and that excites me as a writer so we got this fantastic um partnership this relationship between ballard and bosch um which continues to grow in this novel. We also get a very welcome visit <laughs> from Mickey Haller. Um, were you yearning to get Mickey on the page or did he just write himself in there? No, I've been wanting to get him on the page, but he's not fully on the, I mean, I like what happens in this book, but it inspired me. It's not, he doesn't carry the narrative. He's not first person. And, and mm -hmm. the, the straight Lincoln Lawyer books, he's first person. And, and I just love his voice. And you don't get it in this book. You you do get Mickey Haller. You just don't get his voice. And I still miss that. So I think, you know, in the next year, I'm going to do a, you know, Mickey, a Mickey book uh, where we hear his voice. Um, and um, I'm getting ready to do that right after the book I'm writing now. I'm so excited to hear that. This is excellent news. Oh, good, good, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know there's a lot of uh, Mickey fans out there. I, I hear from them when I... Uh, uh, do book tours and stuff, and so this book is a little like placeholder. It's uh, Mickey's in there. He's he's good. It's a it's a kind of self-contained uh, case, and you you get to see his skills and so forth. And and Bosch kind of even partners with him as well on that. So I think there's a lot of good stuff in this book. There but, is, uh, but I'm looking <laughs> forward to uh, a story with Mickey narrating. Yeah, me too. <laughs> And there is. This book is packed. It's a very busy book. Yeah. Bosch is having a very busy retirement. <laughs> it is. That much. And, and seeing Mickey show off and realizing that you're going to have... It's like Avengers Assemble. <laughs> it's like you've got, you've got your own, like, universe. Yeah, I mean, um, it's turned out that way. It's been, yeah. I've been lucky in that, um, you know, not all characters keep going. I've, there's been a few I've dropped and don't come back to, but... You know, characters speak to you at the end of a book. You, I always look at it. Is there anything more to say about somebody? And invariably with the three I'm mostly dealing with now, the answer is always yes. And so it's like it might take me three or four or five years if I did them all in separate books, but I can get bring to them see together. them all the time if I, you know, bring them together in a story like I did here. And you mentioned before about writing in real time. Uh, was it a conscious choice or was it maybe informed or influenced by your past as a journalist? Um, the, you know, this story? Or just the fact that you 
that you always ride in real time. Oh, like, oh, you mean yeah. that decision? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I knew. Um, right, I shouldn't say I knew because I, when I first started publishing, I didn't know anything about the publishing business. But I was in this transition from being a journalist, and um, you know, and that gave me certain skills and so forth that I just didn't want to drop and forget. And so I always thought that if I aged. Harry Bosch in real time and told stories in real time, there was going to be some journalism in there. I was going to be able to, you know, depict or reflect what's going on in society, you know, show someone evolving against a society that's evolving. And I thought that would just keep me more plugged in and uh, make the writing periods more, you know, interesting, more interesting than if it was static, like Harry's always the same age or the place is always the same. So, yeah, I think that was the journalist in me wanting to, um, you know, Keep hope, it real. yeah, and take the story <laughs> maybe to a, maybe bump it up a little bit to a higher level where you can observe what's going on in the world. And, you know, you don't have to be didactic about it or say what's wrong or what people should do. But if you reflect on it, you know, in this book, you know, the, right now, the biggest problem in Los Angeles is the homeless epi- epidemic. And so that's somewhat reflected in this book because one of the cases they work on is about a homeless person who's been um, murdered. Mm. And um, how much are we allowed to say about the plot of this book? <laughs> Sarah, don't spoil I'm a notorious spoiler. Spoil. So <laughs> notorious spoiler. <laughs> well, I mean, and I'm... a notorious hoarder. So what's it going to be? <laughs> yeah, I just got that misnomer today. Um, I do hoard books amongst them, many of yours. <laughs> Um, and I am, I don't really mind spoilers myself, so I find knowing what will happen in a book never ruins it for me. So I do, unfortunately, unintentionally often do that to other people. So I will let (laughs) you, maybe, for the (laughs) listeners um, who are interested in this latest book, just um, talk a little bit about what the Nightfire is about. Like, set it up. Well, I mean, <laughs> as you guys said, it's a busy book. There's a lot of story going on here. Um, um, I think the overarching thing, there's a theme about mortality, and, and we've already discussed, you know, Harry Bosch, know, knowing I'm not going to be able to do this a long time. So it's about him solidifying this partnership with Ballard. So that's kind of like a theme or a general look at it. But... Um, there's also a you know a kind of take on disappointment and mentors and things like that. We the book opens with Harry Bosch at a funeral and he's he's going to the f- funeral of the guy who first mentored him as a detective, as a homicide detective. And this guy has passed away and um uh he taught Bosch a lot and at the celebration afterwards at his house his um the widow of this uh, mentor says, Harry, I have something for you, and they go into his back office, and there's a murder book that John Thompson, his his mentor, took with him when he retired 20 years ago. And he basically stole a murder case, and nothing's happened with that murder case. And uh, so it's a real kind of kick in the gut for Bosch that he did this, and there's a it sets off a number of mysteries. A, um, why did he do it? It wasn't one of his cases, but he took it. And by taking that murder book, he took it out of circulation at the LAPD. So no one's ever worked on it. No one missed it. Um, so it's kind of a travesty for the, uh, the victim that no justice was ever found. So it's two mysteries in one you get in the first chapter. So I don't think that's really a spoiler, but it's like, why did John T- Thompson take this murder book and be 
who killed this kid? The, the murder book's about a kid who was killed during a, what, a, what appears to be a common street drug deal. Um, and so there's those two mysteries that we start off with, and he takes the case to Ballard because they have this um, partnership, a growing partnership, and so she's involved in it. But then we're also riding with Ballard on a real job in the middle of the night, and she picks up a couple cases there. And then Mickey Haller comes calling and asks Bosch for some help. And so, you know, at different times, there's a lot of balls in the air, um, and most of them revolve around uh, murders that are unsolved. And the thing about, and this can be said of, I think, most of your books, is that you're able to always have these, like a, a central plot, but all these ancillary, like side sort of plots, but balance them all really well so that at no point when you flip it goes for characters as well when you flip between the characters here at no point are you anxious to get back to the other part of the story how do you do that oh well I mean that's a great compliment that I'm apparently doing it um in your view because that you know obviously I don't want people to read this and go like I'm only going to read the Bosch parts or I'm only going to read the read the Boward parts you know you want it to be a um book of a lot of equilibrium and and to have momentum in each narration um you know I don't know how I do it I mean uh, you, you know you do I write a lot by instinct I know my books get better as I do rewrites you know I usually go through um at least three times rewriting the books honing them down trying to make the pages go faster for the reader mm-hmm. um and so um my idea, I don't know if it happens, is that when you flip from one to the other, Bosch to Bauer, Bauer to Bosch, you start moving faster because you want to get back to Bosch. But this other stuff is so with Bauer is so interesting and, and fulfilling as well. So, you know, you can only um, hope for the best, but it's very hard to explain, you know, how, how? I do it. Yeah, it's basically like saying, how are you a best-selling author? Right. Just lay it out for us. <laughs> I mean, what, what, what draws me to your um, books is these ongoing um, sort of pinch points of conflict that you can weave throughout both characters' journeys, well, all the characters' journeys. Um, there's uh, stuff around law enforcement, the institutions of that, institutions within gangs, um, LA as a whole, America as a whole, you you touch all this stuff. As you say, you, you really struggle to be contemporary. Um, but there's there's sort of pinch points of conflict all the way through. One of my favourites is um, Bosch's um, eye on Ballard as a kind of protege. She, he, he, he sees so much in her. Um, but he's also really reluctant for her to go hard down the path he's trying to get her to hold back you know it's it's almost like he sees himself as a young cop in Ballard and he's trying to say whoa whoa, whoa you're gonna do some real damage to yourself but also keep going <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I think you're right I mean um you know he like he does have wisdom he has experience and so he can see you know where where things can kind of go sideways I know he's He's he doesn't like being a father figure and like she makes fun of him for it at times, but you know he wants her to make the right choices. He, you know he's a guy who's always been able to go up through the line, 
and put one foot across, but he never puts two feet across. He doesn't go all the way across, and he's concerned about Ballard being someone who would put two feet across the line. And she kind of does that in this book, unbeknownst to him, and when he finds out, he's not very happy about it. And so I just think he um, thinks that, you know, she's someone a lot like me. I've made mistakes in my life. I want to try to help her not make the kind of mistakes I have. There's so much reverence for um, the police procedural, for law enforcement, for old school police fiction, um, crime fiction. Uh, even though you are still have your eye on the pulse of all these contemporary issues, um, you, you get a real sense of, a love of law enforcement, a love of cop fiction. Um, do you think the police procedural is here to stay forever? I think so. I mean, I think, you know, it's it's just really interesting work and it's, and it's got a huge price tag to it. You know, people who do this work, they see the worst side of humanity as a matter of course and in their work and they take that bargain. They say, like, I know I'm going to do this. I'm going to see this. And, um, you know, it's up to them, you know, their departments aren't going to really help them. It's up to them to figure out what do I do with the darkness that gets inside of me. And that's, to me, the definition of a noble cause. And so I think if, you know, police procedurals keep that in mind or have that as a sub-theme, they're going to be around a lot because I think that's attractive to people. Most of the people who read my books, you know, have never solved the murder. I've never solved the murder. I, I don't really, I'm striving to try to get what it's like to be a police officer, but I am not a police officer. So I, my interest, I think, is the same as the reader's interest, that it's a, it's a strange world. It's an important world. It's a world that's hard to do, um, do it right, and if you do it wrong, you know, you'll get splashed all over the media and so forth, but yet there's people that do it, and that there's something heroic about that, there's something noble about it, and I think that's always going to be attractive to readers. Well, uh, on the behalf of those readers, I hope you stay interested for a long time. Yes. Oh, I'll, I think I'm going to stay interested. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I just hope, you know, generations behind me um, do the same. Michael, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. And you can order a copy of The Nightfire and all of Michael's books at booktopia.com.au right now. Thanks for listening to the Booktopia podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes. And if your eyeballs need a workout, check us out on YouTube at Booktopia TV. And don't forget for all books featured on this episode and all episodes of the Booktopia podcast, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore at www.booktopia.com.au. Thanks for listening.